It's been a little over 10 years since the collapse of President Ben Ali's regime. And today, with increasing speed, Tunisia is lurching towards an economic meltdown and widespread social discontent. Hundreds of thousands, like 56-year-old schoolteacher Khalifa, have seen their standards of living plummet as the price of basic goods soar. It is hard to live today in Tunisia, especially when you are a breadwinner and you have to provide food for a family of six. I am working morning and night for one goal, sending my children to Europe. There is no hope left for this country. Three years on, President Kais Saied has done little to address the structural problems in the Tunisian economy. Crony capitalism continues, and a long-awaited IMF deal shows no sign of conclusion. Instead, the former constitutional law professor has followed a different tact. He doesn't care about truth. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about any of these things. And so what the real problem here is is that he's somebody who's a radical, who's mission-driven, who wants to recreate the state in his own image. And so there will never be a stable vision of the state because he's not a pragmatist. This is Saif Fadin Fajani, son of the predominant Tunisian opposition figure Syed Fajani. The senior Fajani is currently imprisoned in Tunisia on the orders of the president, say his family. So what will occur is, is that as he fails to provide good economy, as he fails to provide good incomes, even if there's loans that do come in and he will waste that because he doesn't really care about those things, as he fails in all of those issues, uh, he will be more and more authoritarian. Bajani's family say Sayed is a selected scapegoat of an autocratic corrupt regime, and he's not the only one or the last to fall victim of this despotic tirade. So, how did Tunisia get here? How have attacks on the country's democratic systems impacted the Tunisian people? And who is the president choosing to blame for the country's hapless fate? I'm Rosie McCabe. Welcome to the New Arab Voice. Part of it is that people didn't really feel that the democracy that they had from 2011 onwards was particularly democratic. This is Fadil Ali Riza, the founder and editor of Mishkal, an independent news website in English and Arabic covering Tunisia. There was, I think, a a very popular narrative, particularly in the West, of calling Tunisia this exceptional case of democracy. And, you know, there was free and fair election. There was sort of this changing of chairs. There was consensus politics amongst political elites. But they didn't result in anything that people would sort of see as as necessarily tangible in terms of the most pressing needs that people had, whether that was in terms of economic development, job creation, public investment. You know, when you look at education, health, you know, even the availability of medicines, you know, these have all gotten significantly worse. According to the World Bank, Tunisia's economic performance decelerated after the 2011 revolution resulting in a lost decade of growth. GDP declined by 1.7% on average each year from 2011 to 2019. Then, the COVID-19 pandemic struck, further destabilising the country's economy. You know, I've heard over and over again, the only thing we got was freedom of speech, and that there hasn't been anything else really tangible other than that that feel that they've gotten out of it. And in fact, it seems that the people have really turned against that system. That's part of the reason I think that 
there were you know people in the streets celebrating on July 25th, 2021, when when the president dismissed the prime minister and suspended parliament. Indeed, thousands rallied in the streets to support Sayed's power grab. The move was particularly popular with young Tunisians who campaigned for Sayed as the outsider candidate in the 2019 election. President Kais Sayed has, I think, in many ways, lost the popularity that he enjoyed of that night. You know, he certainly still has a base of support, but there still aren't other politicians who are popular. You know, as 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 much as people have, you know, even even Kais Sayed supporters, many of them have lost faith in his capacity to to make things better because. You know, on many indicators, we see a continuation of, of some of these these things I talked about. Particularly economically, we've seen things maybe even get worse. However, this desire for change among Tunisians has not translated into enthusiasm for another party, movement, or political vision. According to the 2022 Arab Barometer Survey, the majority of Tunisians want political reform and support democracy. Yet many see the president as their only option right now. Still, we don't see people rallying behind opposition figures, or you know, finding some other sort of group in society that they would like to see uh, opposition to, to President Kais Saied. Sheikhrajin Fajani, who describes himself as a democracy activist who has been involved in all things Tunisia for a very long time, believes that the president's popularity in the country is grossly overstated. He's got complete control over social media, terrestrial media, every media. With people, even networks of social media influencers living outside of Tunisia, influencing things. So, with all of that, with all that stuff happening, and only 500 people went to celebrate with Qais Saeed's 20th of March, I think that it shows what's happening in Tunisia is not popularity of Qais; it's apathy. It is within this climate of disillusionment that the president has pressed on. With his constitutional and judicial reforms largely unabated, this includes transferring the powers of parliament to himself and dissolving the Supreme Judicial Council. It also includes detaining opposition voices. And then he gets arrested on the Monday. He gets detained on the twenty seventh. Uh, he then gets told that. He needs to wait. They go into the house. They raid the house. They take everything out of there. They take all his paperwork, etc. Syed Fajani, Safadin's father, is a leading figure in Tunisia's Anahda Party, an Islamic democratic opposition party that won the 2011 election following popular uprisings. Before this, he spent 20 years in political exile in the UK after being arrested and tortured under former President Ben Ali. Now, in 2023, he has been detained again for over 25 days. So we know that my father is being held at Al、uh, Misadin in Sousse. We know that when he is being taken to hospital, it is to Farhad Hashad,、uh, which is also in Sousse. The Tunisian politician has been questioned repeatedly by authorities, say his family. However, they say there is no incriminating evidence to justify his imprisonment. So the kind of questions they're asking is: Is that you gave your son Hisham ten million dinars or ten million whatever? My father doesn't have any children called Hisham. It's like two people saw you do X, Y, and Z in this mosque. I never go to that mosque. Can you corroborate that? Yeah, I wasn't Qairawan on that day. I wasn't in Tunis. Can you corroborate that? Yeah, there was TV crews. There was this. There was that. So it's like. Lots and lots of questions, based on social media conspiracies, 
it seems like what they're trying to do is like create a charge of some sort in order to explain to the world this is, oh, this is why we put him there's, there's, a, there's a case here Saifuddin is convinced that his father's arrest and imprisonment are due to his public and vocal opposition to the president. It is a ploy, he says, to discredit him. The detention has been covered by independent media outlets in Tunisia, with some condemning the move and others suggesting Prajani was allegedly involved in a plot involving the former prime minister of Libya. Because that's what they need to do. They need to assassinate his character. And unfortunately, we don't know how to actually stop that from happening right now. We can campaign against it, we can pressure against it, but it seems that there is no real help or anybody else that is able to support us at this time. To protest against his detention, Syed Fajani resorted to going on a hunger strike for 10 days. For him, this was the only way he could protest the sham hearings he and his fellow political prisoners were subjected to. Kutha Fajani, daughter of Syed, spoke at a press conference in London on Wednesday, March 22nd. Conditions in which my father is being held are concerning. He was placed in an overcrowded cell with around 120 inmates and his health began to deteriorate. He was sent to the hospital a few times where he once lost consciousness while doctors tried to retrieve his blood without uncovering. In my father's own words, the case against him is nothing, an attempt to whitewash and to the coup and take revenge against its opponents, and that it is based only on accusations by individuals who have had their honesty and integrity severely called into question. Desperate and without access to legal recourse in Tunisia, the family are turning to the British legal system and the UK Foreign Secretary to punish President Sayed. Just before we started, I filed an application for sanctions against certain designated persons to be imposed by the Foreign Secretary for the United Kingdom. This is Rodney Dixon. He's a human rights lawyer at Temple Garden Chambers, a UK law firm that filed a sanctions request on behalf of Syed and other victims in Tunisia. It is open to the Foreign Secretary to apply this regime directly to the current Tunisian president uh, and his government. We have submitted today a confidential filing in which we have set out, on behalf of our our victim clients, the evidence of serious human rights violations that have been committed by the current president, President Saeed, and a number of the key officials around him. These top-ranking officials include two former ministers of the interior, the Minister of National Defence and the Justice Minister. Temple Garden Chambers said there is evidence to show these individuals have launched a concerted campaign to crack down on political opposition since 2021. They said President Syed has used presidential decrees to throttle freedom of speech and harass its critics. We have set out in our application the evidence of these abuses and breaches of international human rights law. And we are asking the Foreign Secretary to review it urgently and impose sanctions against these particular individuals who we have identified and provided information about. These sanctions include travel bans and the freezing of foreign assets. They are targeted 
applying only to individuals and not Tunisia as a whole. I think I, I just want to um, speak, I think, to the Tunisians at home um, to reiterate your point. These sanctions are not about you. They're about Qais and his enablers. Um, we don't... The Tunisian economy is already failing. Um, supermarkets are empty and Qais is slowly running out of scapegoats. This isn't about you. This is purely for Qais and his enablers. Whether the UK Foreign Secretary will choose to enact them is an open question. So for us, things that are kind of like completely one in a million chances are normal to us. It was completely a fairy tale story and we got the refugee status. We were, we were very lucky. We were able to see things that nobody else would see. We had education, we had opportunities, we saw Parliament working from the inside... These are things that are very unlikely for other people. So our concept of what we can do is not based on the fact of what the reality is, but what we think, you know, what we should be doing in front of us. So we will create the pressure. We hope it works. Sofridin said that if the sanctions don't work, they will seek alternative paths to try and hold President Sayed and his inner circle to account Unfortunately, in order to get our father back, we have to have the mindset to go for it all. Qaisaid needs to understand that my father isn't the only thing that we're going to try and campaign for now. We didn't want to have, like, my sisters, everything else, were very, very lukewarm about Tunisia, especially after the attacks on black people, African migrants being targeted. It made us all sick to our stomach. It was almost a relief I wouldn't say it was a relief, but it was almost a relief when he was actually arrested because it felt like the world was topsy-turvy. The people that are vulnerable, the people that deserve justice, protection, were being attacked. What Sofdin is referring to here is another crackdown taking place in Tunisia, the scapegoating of black African migrants. President Sayed has singled out sub-Saharan African migrants, accusing them of stoking violence, conspiring to repopulate the country and being generally responsible for the country's ill fortunes. The president recently claimed in a speech that there has been a conspiracy to change the country's racial makeup. It has a name, the Great Replacement Theory, where political elites replace native inhabitants with immigrants who support their political ideology. This anti-migrant rhetoric, unfortunately, found fertile ground among a number of disgruntled Tunisians. A small group heard the president's claims of a criminal migrant plan and interpreted this as a call to arms to attack black Africans. Migrants were beaten, stabbed, jailed and evicted from their homes. I am not a supporter of Sayed in any sense. And yes, the great replacement theory is nonsense. This is Khalid, a shop owner from Tunis. But let's be logical. Walking the streets of Tunisia, migrants are camping everywhere, causing chaos. Where are the rights of the residents of the country? The army is supposed to set up refugee camps and field hospitals outside the cities and collect illegal refugees in them and demand that international organisations come and take care of them. We already have enough on our plate. Amid the violence, the Ivory Coast, Guinea and Mali decided to repatriate their citizens from Tunisia. Hundreds of black African migrants camped outside the UN's International Organisation for Migration headquarters over fears of further violence and abuse. 
when he delivered the speech and shared his conspiracy theory about the great replacement, he he actually touched, you know, and uh, touched their their instinct of survival. This is Tunisian freelance journalist Thawa Boulifi. She said the attacks are being carried out mostly by young people from underprivileged backgrounds. Getting angry, she said, is better than feeling hopeless. There is this talk about colonization, about sub-Saharan migrants coming here to colonize Tunisia. So they, they, they think that they're defending themselves by backstabbing and, you know, hurting, hitting sub-Saharan migrants. And, you know, for the umpteenth time, they think that when sub-Saharan migrants will go back to their countries, things will get better in Tunisia and will get back the wealth that they're stealing. This narrative of economic insecurity precipitating suspicion and later scapegoating of migrants is, of course, something that's not just limited to Tunisia. I've talked with a friend about this same topic. So he said that um, the side is doing the exact same thing that European countries are doing. But, you know, uh, I mean, he he did it um, in a stupid way because he kind of was explicit about it. He wasn't diplomatic enough. There's a double standard here, added Thawa. Anti-migrant rhetoric is weaponized by politicians in Tunisia and Europe, usually to distract from economic and political mismanagement. Yet, the international community's response to Tunisia has been far more punitive compared to countries like Italy, Greece and the UK, where similar anti-migrant policies have been implemented. The World Bank, for example, temporarily suspended its partnership framework after the president's remarks. Why, why won't we condemn... You know, countries of global south and countries of of global north the same way. Unless the same democratic standards are upheld everywhere, this can lead to resentment and the burgeoning of anti-Western sentiment in Tunisia, said Dawa. This sentiment is then being used by the president to distract, delay and deflect from necessary systematic change. It's really dangerous because it leaves no hope. Moreover, and paradoxically, while Syed whips up hate against migrants, it is that very same stick that is used to make life much harder for the large Tunisian diaspora. A diaspora that will only get bigger as the North African country declines. You know, young people are fleeing the country, they're going in illegal immigration boats, and they're although they know that they're most likely not to you know, make it to the to Italy or to any other place, but they still choose to go because because there is no hope and and they don't see that they that they can take control of their country. A feeling of hopelessness in Tunisia was something that came up in every interview. Arrests, autocracy, and attacks on African migrants can all be viewed as a symptom of democratic decline. At the heart of this story are people with dashed dreams and the belief that little can and will get tangibly better for them. Stay and at best survive, or at worst be scapegoated. Leave and face your chances in Europe or elsewhere. Thawa said this is a choice she is currently contemplating. Personally, I, I didn't think that my generation would be confronted to the same problem my parents had. I mean, I think that <laughs> the problem my generation is confronted to is even worse than the problem uh, our previous generations um, dealt with. Because before, everyone knew that Bourguiba and, uh, and Ben Ali were dictators. Everyone agreed on that, but, you know, there, there was this, um, this silence. But now, Syed is is doing some brainwashing to many people. So even if you want to speak out against him, you'll be demonized. 
and you'll be you know labeled as someone who is working with you know with the west and uh, you know who's a threat to the country so i mean i i still haven't made made my mind yet regarding this question and i hope that things will get better in my country because uh, because tunisia deserves much much better than what we have a final word to sefadin fajani this is what happens when you have a failing authoritarian regime and this is classic populism and unfortunately the support that qais is getting is from other authoritarian regimes or people with fascistic tilts uh, and the, the the reason why i think what we're doing is good and right is is that the international community has been a bit too blasé about this they just thought that he was just another you know arab who wants to rule by himself he isn't i wouldn't be surprised about the things that he will do he is he's going to kind of do horrific things this episode of the new arab voice was written and produced by me rosie mccabe with additional help from hugo goodridge and basma elati our theme music was by omar elfil the new arab voice is taking a couple of weeks off but we will be back with an all-new season of shows on April 14th. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. We also have a weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for. Find a link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news, analysis and opinion from the region.